the father said, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Please be seated. I wish you were dead. In effect, that is what the younger son was saying to his father when he said, Father, divide your property. Give me my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. I don't care about you. Give me my stuff. The father's heart was grieved. But he recklessly, strangely, and wonderfully complied with his son's wrong, hard-headed requests. We normally call this the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal means he was reckless. And when we say it this way, it refers to the way in which the son recklessly spent his inheritance. He spent every last penny in living in sinful ways. He spent it on nothing good in a far off country. And in the end, it was him who ended up spiritually dead starving to death, surrounded not by friends or family, but by pigs. The word prodigal uh, is related to other English words like prodigy, which means someone, especially a young person, with exceptional qualities. Prodigal is also related to the word prodigious, and that means someone who is wonderfully lavish, far more than is expected or deserved. And I believe, and maybe you've heard this before, that this parable would be best understood as the parable of the prodigal father. Though his son is foolish and unloving in the worst way, the father loves each of his sons fully prodigally, prodigiously, with all he has, with his whole life. And it is when he has hit rock bottom that the younger son comes to his senses and he sees from afar that his father has always been prodigal. He treats his servants, his family, his sons in a way that they do not deserve, with lavish Grace upon grace. By grace, he comes to his senses and returns home. The first time when he rehearses his apology, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then in his rehearsal, he says, treat me as one of your servants. As he prepared to give repentance, that repentance would have been perfect for a Pharisee. The Pharisees were all about working your way back, making amends with God so that you could come back into the family of faith. The younger son started off as a good Pharisee. But the father continues to act prodigally. 
as his son comes home, thinking about how he will make amends, working his way up as a servant, the father sees him from far off, and he does something that no dignified man does in the ancient world. As this painting brings out very well, uh, men in leadership in the ancient world wore long, flowing robes, with what we would call a, a train. And so if they were going to run and not trip, it was necessary for them to take their robes and hike it up like this. It would have been ridiculous, a ridiculous sight for this man to go running off for his son. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care what the community sees and thinks. In fact, he wants everyone to know how much he loves his boy. And so he takes off in a dead sprint not stopping until his son is back in his arms, alive and found. Do you see the state of that young man? He's a wreck. He's no longer wearing the clothes of his father's household, but he's in tattered rags. If this painting was a scratch and sniff, it would smell terrible. would run right now. His hair's unkempt, he's unshaved, he's got nothing to offer. His feet are bruised and worn. Before his father, he can only beg. And that's us, of course. We're beggars. We've wandered from God, we've recklessly abused the gifts he's given us. We've got nothing to give back. And we've come here this morning as beggars, bruised and stained by our own sinful decisions. Thankfully, the son is not the center of the painting. The father is. And above all, we see on his face relief. He's not smiling. He's not pretending that everything's fine. It's not. His son hurt him. He's been grieved. He's been hurting like Jacob hurt for years while his son Joseph was in Egypt. He thought he was dead. And he knew his sons had done something very malicious. The father is hurt, but not for his own sake, but above all, his heart is grieved because the son has brought this suffering upon himself. The father hates to see his children suffering. Then we turn to the gifts that the father prodigally gives to his son. He doesn't give the son time to say that line, I will be as one of your servants. No. In the father's house, this is his son. No work, no amends, simply grace upon grace. Bring the best robe, put it on him. There will be no doubt that this is a member of his family. And give him my ring. This is a, a signet ring, which is used uh, for pressing into to melted wax. It's his signature. In our day, it would be akin to giving somebody your car keys, your credit cards, your checkbook, all your usernames and passwords, your entire identity. 
The father gives his entire self over to his son. But the son who's just abused it. And he gives it all back. You see, that is the way his father wants to do things. He gives fully of himself. His son takes and squanders. And again, the father gives fully of himself. The older son is standing off to a distance. He's standing to the side and watching this transpire. And in his heart, he thinks about scarcity and not having enough for himself. He doesn't see that the father's property, it's meant for giving away. It's meant to be used, meant to be received, meant to be shared. And finally, the father takes his son's feet. And as our Lord Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he cleanses his son's battered and worn out feet and places shoes on them. In the ancient world, it was only the extremely destitute and slaves, servants, who were required to go unclad. The father leaves no doubt in our minds. This boy will not be a servant. He's his own dear child, his son. And he has access to every room in the father's house. With these gifts, the father shows concretely that it's not the sins of the son that define their relationship, but it's the prodigal, reckless love of the father towards his children. Jesus told this parable to the Pharisees so that he could communicate what type of people he came to seek, to save, to have fellowship with, and to bring into the family of God. Concretely in that moment, it meant the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those known in public as sinners. But that's not all. The father desires that all his children, the younger son and the older son, share in his joy and eat at his table. How did the Pharisees respond to Jesus' teaching? We wish you were dead. Go away, Jesus. And so they claimed as their portion their social status, their little sliver of the world. They claimed their version of Jerusalem. They clung on to their power. They kept their condescension towards sinners. And in their recklessness, they condemned Jesus and hung him on a cross to die. And that's where the epistle comes in. Because it looks like uh, what's playing out in the gospel is both the prodigal son and the prodigal older brother have all turned their back on God. But St. Paul says that this, this is the father stretching his arms out to embrace the world. This is the father running into the world to seek and to save you. He desires to reach you, 
to claim you as his own. Not that you or I could make amends with God, we can't. There's not enough hours in the day or the week or in our lifetime to get right with God. But it's already been done. It's finished. By the blood of Jesus, you are reconciled to the Father. He has loved you prodigally, recklessly, all the days of your life. And today, he wants you to know that he's covered you. In your baptism, he's clothed you with the robes of righteousness. You stand before him and he sees you not as a sinner, but he sees us as his children, clothed in Christ. And as he put on his son's finger a signet ring, so that his son would immediately be able to go about and do his business, the father prodigally sets us out wonderfully on his work. Immediately, today, the Father calls us to share in his work of reconciliation in the world. You are ongoing ambassadors for Christ. You preach the forgiveness of sins. You share the story of God coming to seek and to save the lost. Sinners like you and me. And we know that God has given us the ability to walk in all the rooms of his house. Truly, Jesus says, in my father's house there are many rooms. And all of those rooms, to all of those rooms you, dear brothers and sisters, have been given access. Still, in my human heart... I believe it would be easier to be a church for the older brother than the prodigal son. The older brother is the one who stays close, the one who makes sure the bills are paid, makes sure the lights are turned on, makes sure that the council is meeting, makes sure that all the jobs are done according to the father's wishes. It's nice to have a church of prodigal older brothers because they do good things. It's hard to be a church for prodigal children. It's hard not to look at those who have sinned in ways that we, at least in our minds, haven't done so brazenly out in the community. It's hard to welcome notorious sinners into our midst and say, This is my brother and sister. But that is precisely who God calls us to be. And so the the father's final prodigal 